Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Dustin Hawkinsmith here with Daniel Gallen. For the first time in a couple weeks, you and me, Daniel. So let me just get the happy holidays and happy new year out out to you. You um, were with Bob Flounders and you were down in Tampa for for bowl week. Obviously, you guys put out a bunch of um, good podcasts last week. But you and I will get us caught up on the latest in Penn State football, which some of the bombshell stuff has subsided. And we've got some more ordinary news to cover. But we will look back at the Outback Bowl a tiny bit. And a new commitment that came in just prior to the Outback Bowl. So we'll touch on that in the moment. And by the way, you know, some of the news from earlier in the week, PJ Mustafer uh, coming back that you guys covered that on the blue white breakdown, you and Bob did earlier this week, but look at Aeneas Hawkins. He decided to um, give up football. He, uh, he graduates, he moves on one kid that I had some expectations and hopes for him when he was coming out of uh, high school didn't really come together for him at Penn State. Only played in two games with a developmental squad guy, but still noteworthy nonetheless as you're taking a look at this defensive tackle picture for next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, in his statement, he mentioned the fact that he dealt with a lot of injuries um, during his time at Penn State, which is always kind of the, I guess, the sad undertones when when you see someone announce that they're they're giving up the game and and moving on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you look at that defensive tackle picture this year probably would have been a, a great time um, for him to, for a defensive tackle further down on the depth chart to, to make a move up uh, with PJ Mustafer's injury. Um, and the fact that Penn state had to go into the transfer portal to get Derek Tangelo there. So we're through kind of the, the bigger announcements. Um, you know, Jordan Stout is going to the draft. Like you said, PJ Mustafer coming back. I think there's still a couple other dominoes in terms of, guys who have extra eligibility um, who could come back. I think the big one that's still out there is Mike Miranda. Um, he's a fifth year guy, so he could come back for that sixth year. Um, whether or not that happens, we don't know yet, but I think that's kind of the, the big one that's left for a starter. Um, and so then after that, I think the announcements come more of people like those guys that are in Aeneas Hawkins' situation. Um, we're further down in the depth chart. Um, they have their degrees or are about to get their degrees. And then it becomes more of a personal choice than, than a football choice. Um, you know, we saw Winston Eubanks medically retire a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think that is just kind of the, the non, I guess, bombshell roster churn, just kind of the normal or just the, the lower level churn. I mean, transfer portal will probably be picking up at some point. And it's just, it's just that time of the year, but I think Aeneas Hawkins, I've, 
never met him, um, never been around him, uh, because of when I came onto the beat. But by all accounts, uh, someone with a big personality, uh, getting that broadcast journalism degree and seems like someone who's going to be able to use it. It does seem like he's got, and I think Penn State's got a few of these guys. You've seen them on podcasts and things like that. Nick Dawkins on on a podcast. It won't be long before he overtakes, you know, you and I for sure in oh, terms no doubt. of uh, podcast power rankings. He's going to be above us in no time. What do you think about this defensive tackle picture as it sits right now? So PJ Mustafer, let's just assume full health. Kaziah Izzard got a chance to play more higher leverage snaps than he probably would have otherwise because of uh, Mustafa getting hurt and Derek Tangelo opting out of the bowl game. Devon Ellis, Amin Vanover, Hakeem Beeman, who uh, his, his situation was almost, it feels like about 10 years ago that <laughs> we were talking about him not being available this season for Torma Mulba, Jordan Vandenberg, who I think had five tackles in the Outback Bowl, another beneficiary of those snaps, Cole Brevard, you get, um, you know, Caleb Artis is coming in and, uh, uh, the kid from Florida, Durant, is coming in. Do they need anything else, in your opinion? I mean, is, is this mix good enough? Um, I think that it's something where I wouldn't be surprised if they looked for uh, someone like a Derek Angelo, basically. Um, you know, a veteran that can come in and, and play right away um, to slot into that spot next to Mustafer. I mean, it's not really a commentary on Izzard or Ellie's uh, in terms of where they are, but I think that when you bring PJ Mustafer back off this injury, I mean, he's not going to be necessarily, I mean, who knows what the human, what his human body is capable of. I mean, you've seen the way that he can move at 326 pounds. So nothing would surprise me, but uh, given the timing of his injury um, and when the season starts, you know, I think that you would want to have another experienced body in there to help kind of manage his reps, not, not just early in the season. I think throughout the whole season um, as he kind of gets ready for the NFL but I think that it wouldn't be a surprise if you you add another veteran body in there. And then if Izzard, Ellie's, or even Vandenberg, I think is going to enter next year as kind of a, a real under-the-radar uh, player to watch, just given how he looked in the bowl game and some of the things that his teammates are saying about him. They're very complimentary. I think that that's someone that that you're really going to want to watch. Um, being a mean Vanover, I think, made a couple plays in the bowl game. Um, all those guys did. I mean, <laughs> the Arkansas offense gave them chances to, and they were able to here and there. Um, obviously, the, the overall end product left a lot to be desired. But when you're down seven or eight starters, I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation for all involved. But I think it's a really intriguing group. Devon Ellis, I think he came on really strong at the beginning of last year as kind of that number three defensive tackle. And I did think it was interesting that after P.J. Mustafer got hurt, they moved Izzard into the starting lineup. Uh, and they kept Ellie's as that as that number three um, in the rotation. But obviously, defensive tackle is one of those positions where it just takes a lot of development just because of physically what you have to do and what your body has to be like. And it's a much easier position to play at 21 than it is at 18. And so you look at kind of these redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, next year is when that you're going to want to see kind of the the full blossoming, I guess, of Izzard and Ellie's and Vanover and just kind of these guys in their development. But Team Beeman is the wild card. We'll see it when we see it. You know, the, these are interesting names. They're interesting players. But, you know, anytime you go into an offseason without what I would call a proven space clogger, outside of P.J. Mustafer, a proven guy who can occupy blockers, you know, you think about what 
Arkansas was doing to them and the task ahead of this group of defensive tackles, they just didn't have much of a chance with the way that they were built. Without Mustafer and Tangelo, this group wasn't built to slow down a 240-pound quarterback behind, you know, a pretty big SEC offensive line. But, you know, there were some silver linings along the way and and the reps that some of these players got to take. But I, I do agree that, you know, anytime you can add a senior defensive lineman of any kind who, who is capable of contributing, you have to explore that. But where they're at with this position group, even if at the very least, you know, you're not bringing in a star, you're bringing in somebody who's going to force Keziah is or Devon Ellis and those guys to elevate their game, even if that's the only thing they do. Uh, it's probably worthwhile. So I would I would be surprised if they don't add another veteran there. Speaking of veteran linemen in the in the transfer portal. Uh, Penn State in the top five for uh, Cornell All-Ivy League offensive lineman. Hunter Norzad, he's 6'4", 298 pounds. As I mentioned, All-Ivy League guy. They were out um, in 2020. They did not play, but he came back in 2021. Had a nice year. And could this be another link in the chain, another uh, addition to the Ivy League to Penn State offensive lineman uh, pipeline? Yeah, I think that uh, Hunter Norzad is a a really interesting player there, especially when you look at uh, Penn State brought in Eric Wilson this year. They had another Harvard tackle, uh, Spencer Rowland or Rowland, uh, committed for a while before he he decommitted at the end of November. When you try to forecast what this line might look like next year, especially after Rasheed Walker's announcement and with Wilson being out of eligibility, um, I think that it gets interesting. Um, and given, and it is also interesting that Norzad appears to be exclusively a right tackle. Um, that's where he's played at Cornell. Um, I don't necessarily know that in bringing someone like him in and making that leap in competition, I don't necessarily know that you would flip him around to the left side. So when you look at what Penn state is bringing back next year, um, I mean, Depending on what Miranda does, I think that if you're operating under the assumption that Miranda doesn't come back, then that leaves just Juice Scruggs and Caden Wallace as the the two guys left on the line. Scruggs looks like he'll play center. And then Wallace, uh, Mike Yersich was asked if he thought about moving him in the guard, which a lot of people kind of see him as his long-term fit. You know, Yersich said, oh, we haven't thought about that at all. We're, We're focused on right now. But if you move Wallace inside the guard, then suddenly you have that right tackle spot open. Uh, you saw good things from Olu Fashanu at left tackle in the bowl game. Uh, Salim Wormley is coming back. And then you have Bryce Effner also coming back, Landon Tangwall in the mix. Uh, it's a really interesting group of linemen. <laughs> I don't know if interesting is necessarily a good thing, um, just because it's going to be very unproven. Um, but at the same time, you came into 2021 with, with a relatively proven group, um, and you saw what the results were. There is a possibility here for a little addition by subtraction. And it's not a knock on any of these individual players, but something was amiss. And I think, you know, a lot of Penn State fans feel like something's been amiss on that offensive line for a while. So interesting, unproven, new faces, new approach, a transfer or two. I mean, I, I think a lot of fans out there would welcome you know, any any combination of those things, including the arrival of Hunter Norzad, if you are able to get a capable right tackle, uh, whether that's uh, Landon Tangwall or Bryce Efner or, you know, if Olu Pashanu is on the left side, whatever. If you have a capable option and you can move Caden Wallace inside, there could be some benefits to that. You know, I think he's been cross-trained, as, as most of these guys have, to have a little, a little bit of a footing at the guard position. And I think just the way that he's built, you know, his future looks to be at the guard position. 
And whether his future begins in 2022 or not, well, I guess we'll have to see. But I think the best version of this offensive line probably has Caden Wallace at guard because I think he could be a mauler there and, and be a better player there than he was a tackle. Yeah, definitely. I think that this offseason, you really have to look at everything, whether or not it means you scrubs a center or guard, um, you know, anything along those lines. I think that given how this offensive line played, and given kind of the, the options that you have and the versatility that those options give you with someone like Tangwall, who has played both inside and out, uh, Efner, I think over the course of the year, played um, every position except for center on the offensive line. And so I think that that's a valuable piece that should be coming back next year. So I think that everything's on the table when you look at kind of fitting this puzzle together. And that's kind of where it'll be interesting this spring to kind of see how Penn State plays around with it, how Phil Troutline mixes and matches and and kind of gets to, to what you want. Um, and I think that you really have to watch kind of those, what we talked about kind of in terms of the, the interior defensive linemen and the developmental curve and how long it kind of takes to develop and get to that point if you're not just one of these just naturally blessed uh, guys that comes in so mature. I think that you look at these redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, and, and true freshmen going into their guys going into their second, third, fourth years in the program. That's where you're going to see um, someone like Fashan who have the chance to make a big jump. Tang will have a big jump. You have to look at that on the developmental curve. I know that around signing day, there were a lot of questions like, oh, did we fix the offensive line? Did we fix the offensive line? It's like, well, there's probably only a handful of guys. Uh, that can come in and contribute day one as freshmen um, on on the offensive line. And you're not going to sign all of them. And if you're Penn State, it's hard to sign those guys uh, when you're looking at the other types of schools that are recruiting them. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. We'll circle back around to 2022 and look ahead on this Penn State roster. I did want to touch on Neo Avery who uh, is the the four-star for Maryland, who committed in the 2023 class on Friday night before the uh, Outback Bowl, New Year's Eve, late in the evening. Uh, just another sign, I think, that recruiting never really sleeps, and thus neither does neither does Daniel Gallon. So he was commitment number six in Penn State's class. Uh, wow. Pretty good-looking edge defender, and I think he plays tight end as well, listed at six foot five, 230 pounds, number 208 player in the country in the 24-7 composite. And his addition has Penn State still locked in at that number three spot in the national ranking. So, again, you know, 2022, that class was pretty exceptional, and they're, it looks like they're able to kind of keep building in 23. Yeah, Avery is an interesting prospect. I mean, you look at the the various recruiting services to see – uh, what he's listed at. You know, you've got edge rusher, you got athlete, you got tight end. Um, on ESPN, he's still listed as a pocket passer quarterback, um, which I think he did early in his uh, in his high school career at Good Counsel. Plays in the WCAC, uh, same high school that produced Stefan Diggs um, and a bunch of other really talented players. So you know that he's someone who could come in. You know, he's been playing against the Mathas, the Gonzagas. Um, the St. John's is uh, of college, of high school football for his whole career. So he's forged in, in that kind of competition, which I think is something that, that you really like to see with the adjustment. But 
the measurable stand out to you, 6'5", 230. That's the type of size you want out there on the edge. And I think that it's it's kind of striking when you look at the, the number. I think he's the sixth commit in the class. And all these guys are big. Tight ends are big. Um, the offensive linemen are big. Even the cornerback will not pain, I think, is, is listed at over six feet. So it's really interesting to kind of see, you know, how this is kind of taking shape. Um, last year, it seemed like speed. Um, you got Omari Evans. Um, you got Caden Saunders. Uh, you got Tyler Johnson. Um, those kind of more big play, faster guys. And and now you look at the class of 2023. And Penn State seems to have its sights set on on some of these bigger guys, um, which is uh, which is pretty interesting to see. So. I think Avery is a, is a good pickup. Georgia was in the mix. Um, and in his announcement, he did a little bait and switch, put on the Georgia hat, throw the Georgia hat, unzip the jacket, Penn state t-shirt. Well, well played. Um, so, I mean, anytime that you're, you know, someone is publicly saying they're going with you over a school like Georgia. Um, I think that's a big deal. And, and that's something that you can use, you know, no matter how close it, it actually is. And, all those other things that go into recruiting. But I think this is a good pickup. Um, obviously the timing, uh, New Year's Eve, uh, I was trying to, to wind down uh, for the night ahead of a big, big Outback Bowl day, but I had to stay glued to the computer um, a little bit longer uh, into the night than, than I wanted to for, for Avery's decision. Thanks a lot, Neo Avery. Costing, <laughs> costing Daniel recreation time now. Uh, but that's that's the way these, these things, you know, recruiting – they, uh, there's always something you haven't seen before and not saying his announcement wasn't out the ordinary, but you know, we're not in their shoes, but sometimes I can't really understand why it's a seven o'clock new year's Eve announcement instead of, you know, something else, but you know, good for him makes his college commitment. I do think Penn state fans want to see, you know, Penn state beating out Georgia for more recruits and, and not so much your, Purdue's and Indiana's and no, no disrespect to those guys, but where Penn state envisions itself wanting to go, you should be competing with Georgia for prospects. Mm-hmm. And uh, Neo Avery is a good one with a lot of room to build on his athleticism and frame and six, five, two is exciting because, you know, number one, he's got another, um, you know, year of high school football left and some, some time to, to build that frame up the right way when he does get to Penn state. I'll take the New Year's Eve commitment over the the Joey Porter Jr. Christmas morning uh, announcement that that he's coming back for another year in my my convenience uh, power rankings. I would love to see a personal uh, recruiting uh, convenience power rankings assembled by you. The best and <laughs> worst timed recruiting announcements just from your own selfish interests. It, it's a long off season, but uh, I will say that I'm pretty sure I was on PTO for basically all of July last year. So and that was not the, the most convenient uh, run right there. Well, we'll put PTO in air quotes because of that. The busiest month in the history of Penn State recruiting. Happy holiday month. Um, <laughs> I did mention we'll get back around to 2022. We would be remiss, and I want to just kind of get your take on this because, I mean, to me, coming out of the Outback Bowl, you know, you couldn't control the opt-outs on defense. You couldn't really control the fact that Penn State's defense, they were young and they were outmatched by a, an, an Arkansas offense that – had a good idea of what it wanted to do, and in the final 30 minutes of that game, flipped the switch, and they did what they wanted to do. You can't really blame them for that. Interim coordinator, where I think people were really trying to hang their hat, was looking at this Penn State offense and just one more shot 
to put this thing back together. There were good vibes early in the season. There were some exciting things going on. Sean Clifford looked really good until he left that Iowa game. So you're just looking for one more chance to prove that what's coming back in 2022 in terms of your coordinator, your plan, your quarterback has the makings of being a big 10 title contending offense. And I think that, those expectations were not met in the Outback Bowl. So what's your take on on that performance by Sean Clifford in particular? He was 14 out of 32 for a buck 95, a touchdown, two interceptions, some pretty bad throws along the way. And what that means for whether that's a quarterback competition, the quarterback depth chart, or the, the odds of success for this offense, how does this performance factor into all that in your mind? Yeah, I, it was kind of... I don't necessarily want to say it was a a shocking performance. I think that kind of oversells it a little bit, but I think the fact that it was a little bit more of the same uh, is a little bit more alarming. You know, Penn state had more than a month to get ready for this game. Clifford said during the week that, that he felt good, that he was healthy, that, that the time off was really good for him. And then he came out and looked like the quarterback that we saw at times down the stretch um, in the second half of the year. So I think that this off season, you know, you can point to the offensive line specifically as something that really needs to get fixed. But I think overall, the there needs to be a sort of a, a philosophical alignment um, in terms of the Penn State offense. Um, in this game, Yvonne Lee was running the ball well. We saw some flashes from Noah Kane uh, that we hadn't really seen um, during the season. And so you see that. But I think they only combined for 11 carries. Meanwhile, Sean Clifford has thrown the ball 32 times the game didn't really get away from Penn state until late. Um, obviously it was still 17, 10, um, into the, into the second half and you could have still run the ball. Um, I think that in the press box, uh, a couple of us came up with this thought separately that it was almost the inverse of the Michigan state game where in the Michigan state game, you're throwing the ball around despite the snow that Michigan state secondary is awful. Jahan Dotson probably could have reset uh, his own receiving yards record in that game. Um, But then in the second half, Penn State tried to to really, I guess, control the game. They tried to run the ball. They tried to really force it um, down Michigan State's throats. And that kind of manifested in in the short yardage plays at the end of the game where they just could not gain those two, one, two, three yards where the passing game was working. Then you have this game uh, where the passing game is just not really working Parker Washington kind of bails out Sean Clifford with that amazing catch. Still not exactly sure how Keandre Keandre Lambert Smith got that wide open um, for that long touchdown. Um, But other than that, nothing was really going on, but then you got some juice from Noah Kane, you get some juice from Keevan Lee. um, And then there's just no kind of consistency there. So James Franklin, Mike Yersich, um, Phil Troutwine, Taylor Stubblefield, Jaylon Sider, all the offensive coaches, I think they need to kind of figure out, what the approach is going to be, what the identity is going to be. Um, and I think you have to build around that. Um, and then that's even before you get to the Sean Clifford conversation. Yeah, there's a lot of conversations that have to unfold here at all those position groups at all those levels. I think in this game, personally, the fact that they connected on a big play and they were close to another one, it almost kind of changed the coach's outlook some. It's like they were big play hunting a little bit. And this game, as you mentioned, was an attainable deficit for almost the whole way through where if you you didn't have to lose patience, but I, I really felt like they got a little bit intoxicated by the pursuit of the big play and they abandoned of all times to abandon the running game. 
was, was this game where those guys both showed a little bit of juice and um, could have done some more damage, I, I think, but didn't really get that chance. But, you know, Penn State has been looking for some kind of identity for a while. And, you know, it's gone through a, a couple of every coordinator since Joe Moorhead. It's gone through that and haven't really been able to put their finger on, okay, what do we want to do? What do we want to be? And there, there's been no more glaring instance of that than when you have short yarded situations. If you don't know who you are as an offense, that's your test of whoever you are as an offense, that your that's your approach to try to get two or three tough yards. And Penn State just still doesn't have a clue and they don't have a clue how, they, how they're getting short yardage. Hence a Jordan Stout fake punt again. You know? <laughs> And and for, when, when they went back to back on that one drive against Michigan, that was Franklin's explanation. It's like, well, we haven't, haven't gotten short yardage any other way. Yeah, the I, I think yesterday uh, on on the podcast with Bob. I mean, when you zoom out and you were, I was talking about, you really zoom out and you think about that sequence uh, at the end of the half in the Arkansas game, just kind of bizarre. Um, the fact that part of the idea of the play was for the ball to get intercepted to swing field position. And then the Arkansas player ends up dropping it. Arkansas follows up. They're moving the ball and they follow it up with a trick play that Jair Brown gets the interception. It was just a very, I think everyone needed to go into halftime and kind of calm down um, after that one. But yeah, I mean, I think that you kind of see the, those issues kind of the, I guess the, almost the spider web that goes out from it where, okay, you can't gain just two or three yards on the ground uh, on the running game, then suddenly that's affecting special teams. And then suddenly that's putting your defense in bad spots. Suddenly that's letting the opposing team make these kind of momentum changing plays. Um, I think that the, the ripple effect there pretty goes out <laughs> pretty far. Uh, what we saw uh, in 2021. Everybody just needed to go into half, chill out, eat a blooming <laughs> onion, get you, get yourself under control and come out in the second half. Well, one last item before we wrap here, uh, I mentioned, you know, think about 2022, Stacy Collins hired this week as special teams coach, also coaching, and he's done this before, coaching edge defenders, um, nickels, outside linebackers. That hire came pretty quick after Joe Lorig was officially announced at Oregon. So it would seem that the pursuit of Stacy Collins or the, or the pursuit of a, a special teams coach had, had been pretty far along by the time any official announcement had been made with Joe Lorig. Yeah, and on top of that, you kind of look at the the Stacy Collins Joe Lord connection. They played at Western Oregon at the same time. They coached at Western Oregon at the same time. Uh, they coached at Idaho State at the same time, um, and then they had ten years at Utah State that went back to back. I thought that the Stacy Collins hire was interesting when you look at his resume. Nothing east of the Mississippi, just out out west, um, say for <laughs> a stint uh, as a defensive coordinator in the Austrian Football League. Uh, in Vienna, which I would be interested in hearing more about. But I think that that's kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, you want to expand your geographic footprint. Um, you want to bring in guys that that know different areas of the country and that can have different kinds of input um, and do some different things. But I thought it was an interesting hire. Obviously, special teams is is one of those things that it's it's very nuanced and it's very kind of hard to see I guess the development there, or it's hard, it's difficult to see the identity sometimes of that group, but that's someone with extensive experience. And I am interested to see kind of the, the outside linebackers and, and the Nichols uh, development, you know, as outside linebackers coach, Stacey Collins will be working closely with Manny Diaz. 
Um, and then you look at the, the quote unquote Nichols coach. I mean, Daquan Hardy was fun to watch last year. Um, he made some really good plays. He was not afraid to mix it up uh, on the blitz and run support. He was working at some safety uh, during in the lead up to the bowl game. And I think that he said that he'll be playing there more next season, which will be something to watch this offseason. But it'll be interesting to see kind of um, as you turn over that defense and there's going to be a little bit of a different defensive identity, how kind of those outside linebackers, how those nickels and, and everything like that change. And that's going to be Stacy Collins's job. A lot of pieces to come together there on defense, especially coming out of that outback bowl where you saw, you know, the outback, the linebacker situation, you know, we started to get some more breadcrumbs there, but we'll see as things go forward. We've got a lot to pay attention to as we move into full on off season mode. Uh, next national signing day is coming up in February. The transfer portal is always a threat to run hot one way or the other. <laughs> I think there's still some decisions to be made from current Penn state players. We might see those over the next, um, next few weeks or so. Penn state could go out and reach out and get somebody else out of the portal. Um, so we'll, we'll be monitoring that on penlive.com, also on the blue white breakdown for minute to minute stuff. You can follow Daniel on Twitter uh, at Daniel JT gallon. You can also find our written and video work on penlive.com slash Penn state football. And we'll stick with you all through the off season here on the blue white breakdown, which you can find on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on the blue white breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.